Lord, we agree with the words of that song. We say it out loud, Lord. Some days we struggle to believe it. Nothing can stand against you. We, we know that it's true, and yet in our frailness, Lord, we, we, we wonder sometimes if everything's spinning out of control. Certainly during this season with the pandemic, Lord, you know many of us, we struggle with fear. We struggle with uh, oh, some depression. We struggle with uh, loneliness. We, uh, we're looking for good news, and we know you have it. But uh, we can get caught up in just this uh, circle of uh, frustration that drives us down. So we, we celebrate with that song, Lord. We claim those words again, even when we struggle to believe them, that nothing can stand against you. We're so happy because of your son's death that we can call you father. We pray, Lord, again this, this Sunday morning as we read your word that it would come to life. We're going to use that word good news a bunch of times and pray that you would really explain to us why it's good news and give us peace as we go. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be with you again on a, on a Sunday morning. And I'm really excited to be able to, again, walk you through the book of Mark. Most folks named it after the course of a few, few years. They began to call it the gospel of Mark, the good news of Mark, as we discussed last week. And I'm excited to just read verses and talk about them and allow the power of the Bible to wash over us, hopefully bring some peace in times that are chaotic, and also uh, bring power in times when we certainly need power. Uh, this passage is really interesting because really quick in the book of Mark, he goes straight to statements that Jesus made. So right out of the gate, we're going to hear the very first words that Mark records that come out of Jesus' mouth. And they're, they're big words. I want you to not, not big as in multiple syllables, but powerful words. I want you to see how this reads. Verse 14, later on after John was arrested, John the Baptist from last week, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And here comes his words. In your Bible, I'm reading out the NLT. It's got quotations. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Very first words out of Jesus' mouth, according to John's, I mean, to, to Mark's document, the time promised by God has come at last. Man, I, as I read that, I couldn't help but think of my friend Toby Kirkland, who we lost just over six months ago and uh, has gone to be with Jesus at way too young of an age from our standpoint and I kept just imagining as I read those words, Jesus standing, waiting on Toby, saying, the time promised by God has come at last. Stacy and the boys grieve and continue to grieve with the loss of a husband and father. But Toby has been welcomed into the presence of God by Jesus because of the good news that we're going to spend weeks on end talking about. <laughs> For some of y'all that grew up in church, oftentimes on a Sunday, you may have heard a a message pointing to the end, like the, the end is soon. Depending on what church you grew up in, you might have heard it too much. You might have got tired of hearing it, but I certainly heard it plenty of times where there was this, a preacher who got up and said, he's coming soon, and, and that's very 
very solid message for us to hear uh, as followers of Jesus. Because throughout the history of the church, since Jesus died and was buried and rose again, the church has been expecting Jesus to come back. And so even as we hear those words as Jesus uh, initially uses them, as he's presenting the good news of his life and his death to, uh, to the people of the world at that time, we have that same message. The time promised to God has come at last. I got to go ahead and tell you, man, when COVID first started, I'm kind of trying to evaluate, man, what is God doing? I had, I had to ask serious questions, and I continue to. Is he coming? Is he coming now? Is he coming soon? Is this the setup for him coming again? Fair question for every follower of Jesus, for every believer in Jesus, right? We, we didn't know what's coming. We know that he, this isn't out of his purview. He's certainly in control of all the COVID stuff. And is this a way for him to pave a way to come back? Every time I pick up my, my cell phone that has the whole world at my fingertips, it's just, man, it can't, you can't help but think as you think of the prophecies of old and you think of the things that Jesus said as you look at all the power in the palm of my hand. I wonder, is the time that was promised by God come at last? Is he coming soon? When you heard that growing up in church, if you did, what were your emotions like when you heard it? If you haven't grown up in church, right, like, and this is a, a new message, and maybe, maybe you have met Jesus and you've only known him for a very short time, how does it feel when he says the time promised by God has come at last? Because he's still saying that. In, in this passage, he's talking about the years that he's about to live out on this earth, sharing with folks the good news of the kingdom of God. But he's coming again, and he's coming soon, and I just had to wrestle with uh, my emotions about that. I mean, for a lot of us, we got stuff we want to do, right? Like, uh, man, if, if you've been waiting to get married to have sex, right? Like you're looking forward to that and you're not sure if you want him to come back just quite yet if you've got a, a, a athletic season coming up and you've been looking for, forward to this your whole life and you can't, then, then you're ready for that. If you're starting to have some success on your job, then you're hoping to have that. If you've got grandkids and you want to see them grow up, then you're looking forward to that. And all of a sudden, it's easy for this, for the activity on this planet, most of which is great, for it to steal away the excitement that this promise that God's given us that Jesus is going to return. It's come at last. When I read this, I want you to understand he's not talking about his second coming. He's announcing his first coming. And that's what the book of Mark's all about. And so he says, after he states that the time has come, he makes this bold statement. I want you to catch the word, the kingdom of God is near. So he says, I'm here. The time has come at last. The kingdom of God. Is near. What do you need to have a kingdom? Now, the Jews, man, when they hear the kingdom, they got all kind of ideas in their mind. Since David, their great king, if you read the Old Testament, they have this great king um, named David. They've been looking for a king to come back in the same way that David came. And they're looking for the messianic kingdom that's been promised through all the prophets. But when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's announcing something very clearly that the king is here. I think sometimes we get so caught up in kingdom conversation that we forget that the, the kingdom's all about the king. It's all about, in, in this case, Jesus, the king of glory, 
the Son of God who's come to establish the kingdom of God. Man, in an election season, when you hear the word kingdom and you think about it as the kingdom that Jesus rules over, a perfect leader, a selfless leader, a humble leader, a loving leader, one that doesn't have to grasp for power because power is already in his hands and he can take it as he wills. You think about this peaceful kingdom, this perfect kingdom because of the king. Man, it makes you jealous, right, for that kingdom. I just want to remind you, if you are a follower of Jesus, your hope cannot be in this election that's coming, right? Like we cannot place our hope in a leader on the left or the right. That that name on the signs all up and down our streets, great. There's nothing wrong with voting for who's going to be president, but our hope is not in a government. Our hope is in a kingdom that's led by the king of glory, Jesus Christ. And so, man, the day after the election, which it probably won't be solved yet, right? They're going to be arguing about that for days after. The people in this country that ought to be completely at peace, you and me, because we're worshiping the one who came to this planet to establish the kingdom of God. And if you followed the next statement then you belong to that kingdom. And no matter how the vote goes, you are uh, living in, in, in a land that's led by a king that's perfect. And that is good news. Check out the next line. Repent of your sins. We spent a bunch of time on that last week. And believe the good news. Repent of your sins. And believe the good news. You remember last week we defined repent that you, it's actually turning the other way. Like 180, going the opposite direction. So when you repent of your sins, I don't know if you remember how the Garden of Eden worked, but uh, if you remember when sin was introduced into the world, Satan came and spoke to Eve, Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. He spoke to Eve and he offered her the knowledge of good and evil. He teased her and tricked her. And she bought the lie of Satan that she, Eve, could be like God. And really what he was selling to Eve is that you could be at the center of your life. Like, Eve, you could be the center. It could be all about you. Whereas the created way at the very beginning of Genesis is that the earth and all that's in it, and certainly man and woman, were all about the creator, God. So... The serpent, Satan, deceived Eve, and he continues to deceive us, and he continues to argue that it ought to be all about us, and we are, the folks in the United States, are a self-centered people, right? We're we're self-centered people. And this announcement of the kingdom of God says that you have to repent of your sins, which would mean to turn away from you being the center of your life from it being about you, from, it, from everything you think about how it affects you. Sometimes we'll even share the gospel only in a way of how it's changed my life. And we don't even know the true story about Jesus. We only talk about ourselves. He says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. We spent a bunch of time on good news last week. I, uh, 
I'm reading this book by Keller. You ought to pick it up if you don't have it. We're using it uh, for our small groups as well. It's, it's, his name's Tim Keller. He's a great writer and preacher. And uh, he says that all the world's religions operate on advice. When, he, when I read this part of the chapter, it was just so freeing to me. They operate like advice. So when you read the writings, you name the religion. When you read the writings that drive that religion, they're read like advice. So when you read it and you uh, follow the advice, then you feel affirmed if you follow the advice. The hard part is that you can never follow the advice perfectly. So even if you're affirmed and you follow the advice better than everybody else and you feel good about yourself, at the end of the day, there's no freedom because there's no way to achieve it perfectly. And he says of news, good news is about something that's done, right? News is about something that's already happened. It's done. And Mark's looking back on the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's saying to us that this is good news. Jesus is announcing that it's about to come. He's he's saying, repent of your sins, turn away from self-centeredness, and turn to Jesus-centeredness. That's the good news. So no longer do you have to be that miserable person that talks about himself all the time, that thinks about himself all the time, that's constantly trying to gratify the desires of your heart, right? It's just a miserable existence. And instead, you're able to turn and focus on Jesus and make him, back to the beginning order, make him the center of your thoughts and life. And then comes freedom. And where believe is so central to uh, us Christians. Uh, in, in some of the verses we quote the most, that simple word uh, just co- jumps off the page. You, you know John 3.16 and, and how it just, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. It puts this interesting pressure on us, right? So he's doing all the work. The work's done. It's news. It's good news. It's done. There's nothing I can do about it. But my job is to believe that he did all the work. And so therefore, I place him in the center and I take myself out of the center and I can rest that he did the work. It's good news and I believe it. And therefore, I'm, I'm transformed Oh, man, it's, uh, it bothers me deeply when I watch we, Christians, people who believe in Jesus, operate as if the word of God is advice. So I think sometimes we actually abuse this word obedience or obey. And we'll put this, preachers do it, put this tremendous pressure on people in a room to obey, which is True to the scriptures, we're supposed to obey Jesus and do what he he said. But we're not doing it as as advice as if our eternal destiny depends on it. We're doing it because we're in love with him. I don't know if you had a great mom or dad and they love you and uh, they show you affection and they affirm you and they, uh, they actually build you up as a young man or a young lady, then you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to disappoint them because you're so well loved. And that's who the people of God are. We're not just following advice. We have all this freedom because we've been given the good news. And Jesus, at the beginning of Mark, is beginning to 
proclaim this message and nobody really fully gets what he's saying. He's saying there's going to be this kingdom and that he's the king and the kingdom is driven by good news. And nobody knows fully what the good news is yet, but it's about to come as we walk through this book. Um, It's why our whole war world wars against uh, creation. Right, that's why there's so much chatter. Like when when I was a kid, we were talking Big Bang Theory at school, right? And and for now, all these years since I was in school, we've continued to bang that drum drum to argue against God creating this place. Because if we could argue against Him being the Creator, then we could undermine the idea that there actually is good news and we could depend on ourselves. We could make it about us and we could stay in the center just like Satan seated at the very beginning. There's this on all the gender debates that are going on right now in our, com- uh, in our country are just really, I believe, a demonic argument against creation because we cannot have a creator. If we have a creator, then he must be the center and we want to be the center. there's a kingdom, there's got to be a king. And if uh, there's a kingdom, then the king is the center of all activity. We have to wrestle with that. Jesus makes this really bold statement. Mark writes it down. And then Jesus goes on to call some disciples, which I love, right? So he makes this announcement of this amazing kingdom in which he's going to be the center. And if you picture this white, when I turn around, there's a cross and Jesus hanging on it. Right, And then you can imagine him being buried and rising again. And in order to establish this kingdom, he's going to do all that work. And then he's going to, he's going to choose 12, 12 regular guys, right? Right out the gate. We're in chapter 1. This is what it says. One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Picture the Sea of Galilee. It's about the size of Lake Murray, right? So if you anywhere near Lake Murray, that's about the size of it. It's a place that is, man, it's like a fisherman's paradise. So fishing is is not like this fishing, but fishermen out in their boats with their nets, that is the way they paid the bills. They were fishing uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon, the brother of Andrew, throw in a net. They say the nets were 10 to 15. They were circular, 10 to 15 feet in diameter. And they'd throw the nets out in the water, and they'd pull them back in into the water, and they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat preparing uh, their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat uh, with the hired men. Doesn't seem too dramatic, right? Mark doesn't record any relationship with Jesus with these guys prior. He's walking down beside the sea. There's four fishermen that we know about. He calls out to them and tells them to follow him. That's odd. Um, Certainly would be odd if somebody called a couple of my boys out and we're about to go work and they get up out of the boat and walk away. If as a father, I'm I'm probably offended, right? Zebedee probably ain't loving Jesus right out the gate. Um, But nonetheless, Jesus, he's, he's made this kingdom announcement and now he's acting like a king. He's walking down by the sea and he's calling out to people with an authority like no other, with such a tremendous authority that they're getting up out of the boat and following him. What are they leaving? They're leaving their family. They're walking away from their family, their family business. Their, their livelihood, 
most of these guys we believe are married with how they're going to pay the bills, right? Like this, this is an intense decision on their part, but because of the way the king carried himself and with the authority in which he spoke because he was the original, right? Like he's not posing as a king. He's not been given the kingship. He is the son of God. He's an original. And when he speaks, he speaks with that authority and they get up and they believe that their whole life, it's, I don't know if they understand that in a moment, right? But within three years, they're going to understand, hey, my whole life has got to have Jesus at the center. And I'm willing to give it all away to just have that. There's this great line in here. He says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. If you grew up in church, you're just offended that I'm reading from NLT because you, you know this in your head. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, which is just a great line. And I always picture a guy casting in and pulling in a man. Like, he's actually saying, hey, I'm establishing my kingdom. And I'm establishing it with some good news that you don't even fully understand yet. And I'm going to use you 12 knuckleheads, right? Normal guys to establish that kingdom. I need you to listen. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Oh, man, Cheryl and I, when we were in our 20s, I guess, we went to see the Titanic. That was the movie of the time. We went to the movie theater and we watched it. Seemed like it lasted like five hours. I don't know. It was a long movie. And on the way home, you know, it's supposed to be a date. I'm supposed to be hanging out with Cheryl and loving her and treating her right. And that movie so moved me. I'll tell you the thing. When we got back to the house, I'm like, babe, I got to go for a walk. It's dark. I'm walking the neighborhood because I could not get over the scene of the folks that got in a lifeboat uh, not coming back for the people that were freezing to death in the ocean, right? And then when they finally come back, they're all dead. Hypothermia has, has destroyed their insides, and it shows them white in the water floating. And uh, It's too late. It's just too late. And Jesus is offering this opportunity. But you got to hear me on this, right? Like he is asking us to follow him. So he's saying, come follow me. But then he's giving us the good news of the kingdom to give away on his behalf, to be in that lifeboat and go away and give the life that he offers. He's giving us this amazing gift. He's giving the disciples this amazing gift. Oh, we got to take that serious. That's why we named our church Radius. We wanted you and me to be responsible for our neighborhood, for our job, for the people that we run in front, run into and carry the good news, the good news, the literal words of the good news about Jesus, but also the attitudes that go with the good news so that folks would know that we're his disciples by how we love each other, but how we love them. It's this great honor to be called by Jesus, and many of you have been, but then to be trusted with the, really with this responsibility but gift to give away. Just be able to keep giving and giving away the good news about Jesus. I think it's particularly interesting as I read this passage that he calls the 12, right? Like so Mark doesn't capture all that. He just captures four. But he calls the 12, and as he calls the 12, he calls Judas Iscariot. And I don't know if you know the whole story. 
But Judas, one of the 12, is going to betray Jesus and lead him to the cross. He's literally establishing the good news right here at the beginning of Mark. He's preparing a way to the cross because he loves you. He wants to save you. Man, some of y'all heard that message a thousand times. But we can't hear that enough. That's why we take bread and juice on Sundays because we want to keep remembering that Jesus came here on purpose to save mankind. The kingdom of God is near. It's not quite here yet. Repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and believe the good news of Jesus on the cross, buried and resurrected. Jesus and his companions, the 12, we assume, we don't know, maybe just the four at this point, come to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came and he went into the synagogue, he began to teach and the people were amazed at his teaching and he taught with real authority, says the NLT. Quite unlike the teachers of religious law. I read that and as a teacher, it just, ah, it humbles me. Because all I can do really, all, all I'm really capable of, my greatest feat are repeating the words of Jesus. I, I have no real authority. These uh, teachers of the law back then, they, they would argue and they could be, they could create great words and even create emotion in the crowd, make people move even with their words. But when Jesus came and spoke, he spoke with real authority. Again, he was the original, right? He was the creator. We read Hebrews and he was there at the beginning of creation, making man in his own image and he could speak and something would happen. Now he's speaking with real authority. He's opening up the Bible that he actually inspired and perhaps reading from Isaiah and he remembers leading Isaiah to write what he wrote in the Old Testament. He's the original. He spoke with real authority. One commentator wrote this and I want you to hear it. He had the power to evoke decisions. So while he's speaking with this authority in front of people that have heard the Bible a thousand times over, when Jesus spoke, it spoke into their insides and it can move them to make a decision. It's one of the reasons we teach the Bible at Radius. It's why I'm reading it right now because I don't have that authority, right? But God's word does. And as we read these verses and you stew on these verses, I, I, want you to, I want you to feel the pressure that the Holy Spirit could take the words off my simple page that I print out so I can see, right, of God's word. And he could cause you to make a decision right now. Could be the biggest decision of your life if you've not believed in him yet. But he has the power to speak with real authority. If you're willing to listen, perhaps you'll believe today. Perhaps you believed in the past, and today's a day to renew that belief. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is awesome, right? Like, so there's a demon possessed, which kind of blows our mind in America, where, where we feel like we never see that, which I think is probably faults on our part, but here's a demon-possessed man. He's in the synagogue, and Jesus is preaching, and the demon cannot stand being in his presence, and the people don't understand about the kingdom of God, but the demon does because he's been in heaven. He's a former angel, right? He's been kicked out of heaven as a former angel. He can't do anything but express who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. 
wasn't time yet, right? Be quiet. Come out of the man. Come out of that man, he ordered. And that evil spirit screamed and threw the man into the convulsion. And then he came out. And check out how the crowd responds. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Here's that word again. From the original. From the absolute original. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. He goes on to heal many people. So I hope you picked out of this little simple passage we spent 30 minutes on. The truth about the king that came to establish his kingdom with good news. Again, where the news feed is nothing but bad news right now, it's hard to look at. You and I have we have centered our whole lives around a king that proclaims good news. What's, what's particularly interesting to me and should give us some rest, even in the chaos, even as for, I mean, I, I actually talked to a friend who's a counselor this week and he's like, he's like, people are snapping because they're isolated and they've not been, they've not interacted with people, the rhythm's off and they're, they're just snapping. We, the people of God, we point back to a king that did something. It's done on the cross. And so we lean on that, and that's where our peace and freedom comes. We we can stand out in this time as we lean on Jesus. Today would be just this amazing time for you to uh, restate your belief. Hey, if you have been baptized, it's time. If you believed and not been baptized, then obey him. Restate your belief publicly. If you've been a believer for a long time, but you've been sliding right now, you're kind of low, for one, we'd love to help you, right? So reach out, fill out that Connect card online. But for two, restate right now in your living room or at your kitchen table or with your friends in the garage, look across at a friend and go, I believe, I believe in the king in his kingdom. Amazing verses didn't fully do them justice, but I trust that the word of God wash over your soul and its authority could move you to a decision and hopefully a decision that brings peace in a time that's full of chaos. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. We got to read right off of a page real words that you said when you walked this earth. I can only imagine what it was like to be in your presence like in real time, but I don't have to imagine what it feels like when your word pricks my heart, when it moves me on the insides, sometimes connects to my emotions and sometimes to my will. Some of the very best moments, some of the very hardest moments in my 53 years, Jesus, have been when you've spoken into me through your word. I pray for that, for all of the Radius folks that are taking this in right now, for folks that are just listening that uh, don't necessarily belong to Radius. Lord, I trust that your word would grab them today. And if perhaps one taking this in is yet to believe in you, Jesus, I pray that you'd save them today. I pray these things in your name because it's powerful. Jesus.